brothers and sisters, welcome to the Christian Fishers of Men podcast. I am your host, Alan, coming at you today, um, just by way of um, reminder, uh, the kind of the main focus of the program here of the podcast is to get people who who might be struggling, who might be um, having a hard time with their testimony, who might be on the fence, to basically just just speak some pure doctrine, some some pure religion, and to um, attempt to to allow and create a situation where the spirit, can do some teaching and can do some converting and can do some softening of, of the hearts and stuff like that. And in that spirit, in that same vein, um, as always, I would like you guys to, if you're brand new or if you've been listening for a while, um, before you listen to me, please go and listen to to the brethren, to the uh, people who were invited to speak at General Conference, you know what I'm saying? Go and hit those up first. Um, I, I always post the midweek spiritual boost. Sometimes I don't do it in the middle of the week, but I try to get it out there. And um, go hit those talks up first, listen to them, and then take notes. Take notes on them. Come back here and let's compare notes and let's see if we can edify each other, if we can uh, dig into some of these, these layers, because there's some layers here. Uh, the last one was um, Sister Brown, I believe is her name, Tracy Brown. Let me make sure that's correct. Yep, Browning, excuse me, Browning. Um, wow, she, she dropped some spiritual atom bombs on us, you guys. She did such a good job with her talk it was it was incredible excuse me i'm gonna move the mic real quick that's better um she she aced it she aced it i mean for a 10 minute talk oh my gosh it was like there was she had the spirit engine revved up to the red line the entire time and she was throwing out pure doctrine. Um, I mentioned in, in my last uh, talk breakdown on my notes, you know, I keep thinking back to, to when Joseph Smith said, you know, this doctrine, when you get into this stuff, it, it's, it becomes delicious. It tastes good. Man, this talk tasted good. She, she just, I mean, she nailed it. She nailed it. That's, that's all there is to say about it. I'd never even heard about her before this talk. And she came out swinging. She came out swinging. Um, let's go ahead and get into this. I've got a lot of notes. I'm going to try to not get too off topic here. Um, but there's some really cool, interesting stuff. And I had I had a good time studying for this and, and kind of getting into some different things. And I got into a lot of things that I didn't even put down in my notes that I'm going to add to another podcast, I think. But let's go ahead and get into it. Let's go ahead and get into it. Brothers and sisters, how humbled I am to stand before you this morning. I knit my heart with yours in gratitude to be assembled wherever you are across the world to hear messages from prophets, apostles, Seers, revelators, and leaders in God's kingdom. Pause. This is going to be a theme throughout General Conference, brothers and sisters, throughout all of these talks that we've been hearing. If you're paying attention, if you're making notes or taking notes, you're going to see this appear over and over and over and over. There is a theme here that we are hearing and it is come unto Christ. And it is come unto Christ through his prescribed kingdom, through his prescribed doctrine, through his prescribed authority, through his prescribed servants, right? Oh my gosh, it's, it, it's incredible. It's incredible. 
the amount of times you're going to hear this is going to be, you should count it. You really should. Okay, continuing on. Just keep that in mind as, as we continue on. We figuratively, now pay attention to this. Highlight this, if you haven't already. We figuratively become like the people of King Benjamin's day. Pitching our tents and having our doors open and directed towards God's prophet on the earth, President Russell M. Nelson. So she mentions a very similar thing twice. However, this time we get a little bit of a metaphor. Now, this is one of those things that you could just pass by. It could be just a throwaway uh, little way of t to help us understand something. You know what I'm saying? But listen to what she's saying here. That we figuratively become like the people of King Benjamin's day. Pitching our tents and having our doors open and directed towards God's prophet on the earth. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but in, during King Benjamin's address, he had a tower erected, right? The people... And maybe you haven't, maybe you haven't um, thought about this before. But when you read in the Book of Mormon, have you ever ever wondered why the people were in tents? Why were the Nephites in tents? Do you know the answer to that? Let's think about the book that these guys had at the time. What was their book? It was basically the Torah, right? They had the Old Testament. Um they would have had a, a really cool Old Testament, right? A really pure... They, they had extra books that we don't have and stuff like that. But the point is, they had the law, okay? They had the Torah. They were um, doing things the same way. They were observing the same feasts that the Jews would have been observing, right? even down to the fact to where King Benjamin is handing off the kingdom to his son Mosiah. This was a coronation uh, event. And the Jews did things a certain way when they were doing that, and they always would do it at a certain time of year. They would do it at along with, it, along with the religious stuff, right? They would do it along with the religious ceremonies. Very, very much a parallel to what's going on here in the in the book of mormon that 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 she's citing oh man i could go into this i could i could do a deep dive into this you guys suffice it to say the nephites 99% sure okay we can we can really say this with a lot of certainty that the nephites were observing uh, the feast of tabernacles at the time so, if you haven't looked into that, I will put a, a um, link in below, down below, for you to go, you can go and you can read up on it yourself, and it is fascinating, it's fascinating to see what's involved with that, but I'll give you just a little taste here. So, the Feast of, of Tabernacles is also known as Sakat, right? Um, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sakat, like the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover began and ended with a day of rest, including a holy convocation, a holy reading or holy calling, and a solemn assembly. During a week of the feast, the Israelites would gather together and build for each family a booth or tabernacle. Special sacrifices were also ordained. According to Jewish tradition, the first Sukkot was celebrated at the foot of Mount Sinai, six months after the exodus from Egypt. The last day of the feast has come, to be known as uh, Simhat Torah, Joy of the Torah, in commemoration of the revelation of the Pentateuch, or Law, at Sinai. In a sense, Sukkot symbolizes the creation of the world as God made a covenant with Abraham, renewed with Noah after the flood, so too he covenanted with Israel at Sinai. Let me turn the page here. 
because they reappear in connection with other known Sakat assemblies, we shall examine the elements of the first Sakat found in Exodus. Okay, so here's some things they did. In the very first one, Moses recites uh, God's commandments, which he wrote in a book. All the people answered with one voice and said all the words which the Lord hath said we will do. Okay, now think about King Benjamin. Go back and read that if you need to, guys. Like that, there's some good stuff here. Very much a parallel. Um, An altar was constructed along with twelve pillars in token of the covenant. Sacrifices of burnt and peace offerings followed. The blood of the sacrificial animals was sprinkled on the altar. Moses read to the people from the book of the covenant. The people repeated their covenant of obedience. The people of the covenant, uh, or the, excuse me, the blood of the covenant was sprinkled on the on the people, sealing the bargain. The Israelite leaders went up on the mount where they saw God, ate and drank. The Lord called Moses up to give him the law and the commandments written on stone tablets. A cloud and the glory of the Lord described it as fire covered Mount Sinai for six days. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from the cloud. I could, I could go further. I like it, It's fascinating. The fact that she, um, and she isn't the only one, guys. She's not the only one. This is a a theme that's been appearing a lot. It's been appearing appearing a lot lately, in the last probably couple years. It's it's kind of a. It's kind of a, a, a recent um, thing that's happening more and more and more. They're starting to compare us to, to this. They're starting to bring up King Benjamin quite a bit. I'm going to save the rest for a future podcast, but I will say this. Um, if we have an understanding of these feasts, if we have an understanding of... Like when people talk about them and stuff like that, when we start to pay attention to them and we start to understand the significance and we start to, you know, look around at these, when these times are happening, you will start to notice little patterns, little things that are going to pop out at you, right? So when I read that, I was curious to myself and I said, you know, I know every seven years they have what's called a sabbatical year. Um, this is this is like when you hear somebody say I'm going on sabbatical, right? Every so often they'll go on a on a thing where they don't work, they don't do anything. Well, that was the same thing. Every seven years, the the Jews, the Israelites, back in the day, they were not to till the ground, they were not to do anything. Like the earth was to rest, and they were to observe um, some ceremonies. They were supposed to observe some some feasts and stuff like that, right? Um. Interestingly enough, when uh, the kingdom of, of Judah was taken captive by Babylon, they um, every every they were basically taken captive for the same amount of time that they had not done their their uh, their feasts. Basically, their their sabbatical year for for every year they didn't do it, they were kept basically for that long in captivity until that that um penance was done very interesting stuff like i say and you know i'm, I'm going to do this in a in a in a, a, a upcoming podcast but i'm touching on it now because i find it interesting that she's bringing that up when we literally when she uttered these words we had literally just entered into a sabbatical year. Very interesting. So 2022, now, where we're at right now, we've entered into that sabbatical year. It's called a Shemitah year, right? Very fun, interesting stuff to understand, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to save that for, you know, hopefully it doesn't tantalize you too much, but I'm saving that. We're going to go forward, but just keep that on your minds. Maybe do a little research on that. There's really interesting, cool stuff that goes along with that, guys. Okay, moving on. So she's comparing us to, to Moses, uh, the, the people of King Benjamin at that time. And 100%, I think that when we 
are at general conference like that, especially during that time, like it literally was just happening. The Feast of, of Tabernacles for, the, 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 for Israel, for the Jews around the world, they were observing the Feast of Tabernacles like during roughly, I think it was four or five days later that they were, that they were to observe that. Super cool. Super cool that she would bring that up right before the Feast of Tabernacles actually happened, right? And on a Shemitah year. I thought that was really... Maybe I'm just a nerd for that. I don't know. I thought that was very interesting that that would happen, though. And that we are essentially doing the same thing, right? We all stop what we're doing. If you're in my household, you know, everyone gets all of their blankets and their pillows and stuff like that. And we all camp out on the living room floor. And we we stop what we're doing, you know what I mean? We, we don't really go out and do a whole lot. We listen intently, hopefully, to what the prophet is saying. All of our eyes are turned towards the prophet, and really, she's spot on, metaphorically, we are observing a form of what, you know, what they were doing in, in, in the Feast of Tabernacles, in the Feast of Tents, right? We take our tents, we turn them towards the prophet, towards the temple, and uh, we hear what he has to say. And we hopefully are agreeing to do what we are being asked to do. Super cool stuff. Like, I'm holding back a lot here, but we'll get into that in an, in a, in an, in an upcoming podcast. Um, moving on, I've had poor eyesight for as long as I can remember and have always needed the aid of prescription lenses to correct my vision. When I open my eyes every morning, the world appears very disorienting. Everything is out of focus, grainy, and distorted. Even my dear husband is more reminiscent of an abstract portrait than the well-loved and comforting figure he really is. My reflexive need before I do anything else at the start of my day is to reach for my glasses to help me make sense of my surroundings and enjoy a more vibrant experience as they help me navigate throughout my day. So in my notes, I wrote, Are you sensing a theme yet? There seems to be a, a theme here for a conference. Are you seeing it? Are you hearing it? Okay. I find it interesting that they keep bringing this up. They, 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 everybody, everybody, every speaker is bringing this up. They're talking about how, and they're coming up with their own cool analogies and stuff like that as to how things are distorted. They really are distorted, and, and that there is a way to correct that. And she gets into that here in a minute, but I, I love it. I love the fact that even in the previous talk, Elder Uchtdorf was talking about looking through a glass darkly, right? And if you remember, in the New Testament, whenever you see glass, you can substitute that for mirror, and it will make more sense out of it because that's what they're talking about. Looking at a mirror darkly, right? Okay, let's, let's continue on here. Over the years, I've come to recognize this behavior. <clears throat> or, excuse me. Over the years, I've been... Yeah, I've come to recognize that this behavior illustrates my daily dependence on two things. First, a tool that helps me to clarify, focus, and ground the world around me. And second, a need for tangible guidance to continually point me in the right direction. This simple, routine practice mirrors to me a significant observation about our relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? I love how often we can count the prophet, the apostles, the speakers, uh, like Sister Browning, everybody in the conferences are like hitting that out of the park. They're hitting home runs with this left and right. It's all about 
your relationship with Christ. It's all about how do I, how do I, um, you know, how do I hear him? How do I follow him better? How do I, how do I better become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Like it is just thick through, through this conference, especially, but they're hitting it over and over and over in these conferences. And it's a huge theme as it should be, right? And I love that. I love the fact that they are just, I mean, there is no, you have to be so spiritually blind to think that these guys are out for themselves. You really do, because they are just pushing Christ left and right. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, In our lives that are often filled with questions, worries, Pressures and opportunities, our Savior's love for us individually and as His His covenant children. Now, highlight that, okay? If you guys didn't highlight that before, highlight His covenant children and also His teachings and laws are available daily resources that we can depend on to be a light which shineth, enlightening our eyes and quickening our understandings. As we seek for the blessings of the Spirit in our lives, we will be able to, as Jacob taught, see things as they really are, and as they really will be. Brothers and sisters, you keep hearing that, like, they're saying it, and attacking this from every angle where they're like, even going as so far as to say that, hey, if you don't have the spirit, then you're not going to spiritually survive what's coming. That implies that something's coming. I think that we're on the cusp of that something right now. Um, If not, actually, I take that back. I think we're in it. I think we're in it. And it's going to continue to ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. And that if you don't have that spiritual connection, then good luck. You know what I mean? You're going to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Because there's a lot of that kind of stuff out there. Um, We are losing a lot of people to some really strange, weird doctrine. Losing a lot of people who, you know, in times past, the message of follow the prophet, he knows the way. Like, I've hammered on this, guys, because it is something that's causing us to hemorrhage um, younger members. Very strange stuff. Uh, I'm on the very oldest bit of the millennial generation, right? And... My group and younger, like, they are, they are struggling. Not just in this church, but in, in Christianity as a whole. They really, they, there is a turning away in, in a sense. And we're, we're losing more people than we really ought to be losing. It's very sad. Um, I think that we need to remember who we are, right? We need to remember who we are and what we stand for. Um, continuing on, as, ch- as covenant children of God, we have been uniquely blessed with a rich supply of divinely appointed tools to improve our spiritual vision. The words and teachings of Jesus Christ as recorded in Scripture and messages from His chosen prophets and His Spirit received through daily prayer, regular temple attendance, and the weekly ordinance of the sacrament can help to restore peace and provide the necessary gifts of discernment that brings Christ's light and His understanding to the corners of our life and in a world that may be cloudy. Okay, got a note here. Um... I did, a, I did a note that is a callback to what President Uchtdorf quoted in his talk. Just to reiterate that, um, 1 Corinthians, 
let's see, 1 Corinthians 11 through 12. Looking through a, cla- a glass darkly. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. Now that can be kind of hard to understand because it's not written in modern day English, right? Basically, he gives the the key to understanding verse 12 and verse 11, where he says, look, when I was a kid, I acted like a kid, I understood things as a kid, right? He, he's, he, that's the key to understanding verse 12, where he says, for now, okay, so you can compare yourself now to being a kid, we're in mortality, right? We don't understand things as we will understand things. We're like spiritual children in a way, right? We have the veil of forgetfulness on us. We only understand so much. So right now, when we look in the mirror, right? Because remember, New Testament, if you see glass, substitute it for mirror. That's what they're talking about. So for now, we see through a mirror darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as I, even as also I am known. Okay? We don't have the full understanding yet. Right now, to us, when we look in the mirror, we're looking through that mirror darkly. We can't see the, the reflection very well. We don't know who we are right we don't we don't remember that type of stuff we don't know we don't have that full understanding yet okay so go to second corinthians uh chapter 3 verse 18 but and this is the other side of the coin but we all with open face beholding as in a glass or mirror so as in a mirror the glory of the lord are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So, that's the end goal, right? When we look in the mirror, as we progress on this um, road road of discipleship, that as we look in the mirror we will behold the glory of the Lord, right? As we become one with the Lord, we will see the Lord reflecting back on us. That's cool. Like that, that's really cool. And that's who we are, brothers and sisters. That's what we need to remember. We need to remember that someday, we, as we are faithful, as we do what we're supposed to do as we give adherence to the prophet, to the apostles, to the spirit, to, to Christ through his, <clears throat> through his chosen uh, mouthpiece, through, through the Holy Ghost, through the scriptures. When all of these things come together, when we give it our all, at some point we will look in the mirror and we will see the Savior staring back at us because we will become one with the Savior. And that is an incredible, incredible doctrine. That That is delicious. That's delicious doctrine. There's no other way to put that. Okay. I could, I could talk about that some more, but I've got to move on here. As, uh, let's see, the words and teachings of Jesus Christ as recorded in scriptures, the messages from his chosen prophets and his spirit received through daily prayer, regular temple attendance, and the weekly ordinance of the sacrament can help to restore peace and provide the necessary gift of discernment that brings Christ's light and his understanding to the corners of our life and in the world that may be cloudy. The Savior can also be a compass and our pilot as we steer through both the calm and the turbulent waters of life. He can make plain the correct path that leads us to our eternal destination. So what would he have us see? And where would he have us go? 
Man, she she just, like, like I say, there's no let up on this. She's got the pedal to the metal the whole time. And it's just pure doctrine. It's pure doctrine. Our dear prophet has taught that our focus must be riveted on the Savior and his gospel. And that we must strive to look unto him in every thought. President Nelson has also promised that nothing invites the Spirit more than fixing your focus on Jesus Christ. He will lead and guide you in your personal life if you will make time for Him in your life each and every day. Pause. Brothers and sisters, I've shared this with you before. I'm going to share it again. I prayed recently for an opportunity, for opportunities, and for... I, I was praying and I was saying, Heavenly Father, I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I feel like that is lacking in my life, and I want to come closer to Christ. I want to have a relationship with Him, but I don't know how. I know the primary answer, sure, but I, I don't know how to go about cultivating... And, and and just building up what's already there, of course, but but how do I how do I make this relationship grow? What 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 am I supposed to do here? And I started to get opportunities to serve. And if you go back and listen to the uh, you know the podcast I did, where you know ministering to the least of these thy brethren. That is how you cultivate a relationship with Christ. It's not just reading your scriptures daily. All that stuff is a given. You gotta say your prayers, you gotta read your scriptures. But as Sister Browning just said, you have to make time for Christ. And for me, making time for Christ <clears throat> it came from serving my fellow man. It came from uh, bringing sacrament to the homebound. It came from from going and, and helping at the old folks' home, you know, to to do talk or a sacrament or something like that, or to a, another old, a different old folks' home where we run a sacrament meeting for them and I felt each and every time as if I had been in the presence of the Savior. And all because, all because I had chosen to get off the couch. Because I had opportunity. It's incredible. If you guys are struggling, use that formula. Get off the couch and go and and bless somebody's life. Go and serve somebody. Go to go to an old folks home on Sunday and give them a little gospel lesson. I promise you your relationship with Christ will grow exponentially. I have a testimony of that. I really do. Uh, friends, Jesus Christ is both the purpose of our focus and the intent of our destination. To help us to remain fixed and heading in the right direction, the Savior invites us to see our lives through Him in order to see more of Him in our lives. Boy, that's profound. That's really profound, isn't it? I've come to learn more about this specific invitation through my study of the Old Testament. Now, I made a note here. Don't sleep on the Old Testament. There is some majorly cool doctrine in there that will help you understand the Book of Mormon and the New Testament much better. Um, Something that I had opportunity to do brothers and sisters, was I, I gave a lesson, and I happened to be a bit of a, of a nerd, right? Now, I'm not, I, don't, I wouldn't classify myself as a scholar, 
by any means, but I have a love for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I have a love for the Old Testament. I have a love for the Old Testament because I discovered it on my mission, and I discovered that by delving into the Old Testament, I understood the Book of Mormon way better. It made, like, all of a sudden, it's like there's puzzle pieces. You, you have to have the stick of Ephraim and the stick of Judah. You have to have those, those two things. This, the stick of Joseph, excuse me. Now I can't remember if it was Ephraim or Joseph, dang it. Okay, one of them was, was from the loins of Joseph or Joseph himself, and one of those sticks was, was through the stick of Judah. Bible and the Book of Mormon. So, when you have both of those items, you have, you have both ends of the puzzle, and you can understand some intensely cool stuff. You can understand as to what was happening when, when Nephi and Lehi fled Jerusalem. You, you know what was coming, because you can go over to the, to the Bible, to the Old Testament, and you can read it. You can read what happened. You can read about King Nebuchadnezzar coming in and just curb stomping the kingdom of Judah. And about Daniel being taken. You know what I mean? About Jeremiah. These people were contemporaries to Lehi, Nephi. You know what I'm saying? Like, it gets me excited because you start to understand. You get a, a fuller picture. And I think a lot of times the, the Old Testament gets a bad rap because, yeah, there's some Jewish law in there, or some Israeli law, I should say, that can get kind of, of boring and be a bit of a slog to go through. But I would challenge you to look through and find the symbolism behind the law, and it opens it up to you and becomes really cool. Like, I'm going to do a podcast on the Red Heifer, uh, sacrifice and it if you read it in the in the Old Testament it, it would be kind of boring you have to dive into the layers you have to dive into the layers and see what's behind it and underneath it to understand why they were commanded to do this in the first place and it opens it up to you and you will never look at it the same I promise you it's so cool we'll do some examples together anyway moving on just as we are today, God's ancient people, we, we were invited to see through their lives, or excuse me, we were invited to see their lives through him in order to see more of him in their lives. But by the time of the Savior's ministry, the Israelites had lost sight of Christ in their observances, setting him aside and adding to the law unauthorized practices that had no instructive symbolism pointing to the true and only source of their salvation and redemption, Jesus Christ. Boy, that's true, isn't it? The everyday world of the Israelites had become disoriented and obscure. The children of Israel in this state believed that the practices and rituals of the law were the path to personal salvation, and in part reduced the law of Moses to a set of protocols administered to rule civilian life. This required the Savior to restore focus and to clarify his, his gospel. Now, I marked that, and I made a note. I think that this is forgotten a lot of times, too. I went to the Bible dictionary and looked up uh, dispensation. A dispensation of the gospel is a period of time in which the Lord has at least one authorized servant on the earth who bears the holy priesthood and the keys, and who has a divine commission to dispense the gospel to the inhabitants of the earth. When this occurs, the gospel is revealed anew, so that people of that dispensation do not have to depend basically on the dispensation or on the past dispensations for knowledge of the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation, which is older than the earth, has been revealed and taught in every dispensation, beginning with Adam, and is the same in every age of the world. So, 
Christ was the prophet. He, he became the prophet in the meridian of time to come and to restore the gospel because the gospel had been in a state of apostasy, as, as we understand from dispensations. They had, they had, as Sister Browning says, they had reduced the law of Moses to a set of protocols administered to rule civilian life. It became culture. That is like the bane, I think, of any religion. That is the bane of Christianity, really, is for it to become a culture. Now, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be culture. Your belief system should be part of your culture, but it shouldn't be relegated to culture. It's faith, it's spirituality. That's where it belongs, right? I think that we are experiencing that today as we see people on both the right and the left of the political spectrum, that, that sieve that is sifting us right now, that we are witnessing happen, it, it, it shifts from the right to the left, from the right to the left, and it's sifting people on both sides. Because the church has become culture. They've never, if they ever did cultivate the spiritual aspect of it, the faith aspect of it, then they have not kept up on that cultivation. They've let weeds creep in. And they've, those weeds have choked out the gospel the spiritual aspect of the gospel in their lives. So much so that anything that the prophet says it will come out with question marks. They will have question marks attached to everything. And as, uh, as, the, as President Nelson's wife, Wendy, pointed out in a conference to, to the Canadian saints, you know, she says, this is not the time to be doing that. This is the time... This is not the time to be putting question marks on everything the prophet says. This is the time to be putting exclamation uh, marks on everything that the prophet says. That's profound. That's profound. But I think that... I think that too often we look back on ancient Israel and we... We give them guff for stuff like this. When, as, as I grow older, as I mature spiritually, as I get more life experience, I look around and I see that we are doing the same dang thing. We're doing the exact same thing. You know, we venerate the ancient dead prophets, but the new one is, is, is crazy or something. You know what I mean? It blows my mind. It completely blows my mind. But we see that, yeah, this, this absolutely happened at the time of Christ, with Christ himself, right? Um, she goes on to say something really, really profound here, that, I, that I, it makes you think. Ultimately, a great portion of the Israelites rejected his message, even going so far as to accuse the Savior, he who gave the law and declared that he was the law and the light of breaking it. We're talking about Jehovah here, guys. The great Jehovah. You know, it really does blow your mind. If I was to assume or step into the, God forbid, the role of a prophet, I'd be thinking, they rejected Jesus. What? What hope do, do we mere mortals have here? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're going to take anything I say serious. And look at how many of the, you know, how much of the world population, how much of the church population is taking what the prophet says seriously. Food for thought. Food for thought. Um, I wrote down in my notes Proverbs 3 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. 
In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. 110%, guys. 110%. Uh, continuing on. Yet Jesus in his sermon on the mount, speaking on the law of Moses, declared, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Then the Savior, through his eternal atonement, ended the codes, regulations, and ceremonial practices observed by the people of Israel at that time. Pause. How, how much pushback was that? Was there for, for him doing that? If you go after Christ had ascended, had been resurrected and ascended and left the church in the... In the um, and this is a, a fact that we shouldn't overlook, by the way, that Christ called his apostles, he laid his hands on their heads, and he gave them the keys to the administering of the kingdom while he was away. That's a pattern. That's a pattern that's being observed even today, right? Christ will eventually come to rule and reign until that time. He has, he has uh, servants, he has prophets, he has apostles who hold the keys to the administering of the kingdom. And that is how he rules and governs the affairs of the kingdom, is through those, those people, those chosen people, hand-picked. Um, his final sacrifice led the shift from sacrificial burnt offerings to the rendering of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. From the ordinance of sacrifice to the ordinance of sacrament. President, Russ, President M. Russell Ballard, teaching on the subject, said, this is, this is actually pretty cool, this is a cool quote, pretty profound. In a sense, the sacrifice changed from the offering to the offerer. When we bring our offering to the Savior, we are being invited to see more of Jesus Christ in our lives as we humbly submit our will to Him in recognition and understanding of His perfect submission to the will of the Father. When we fix our sight on Jesus Christ, we recognize and we understand that He is the only source and way to receive forgiveness and redemption even unto eternal life and exaltation. Man, she's just hitting all the high notes, isn't she? It really is. It's cool. The way that... I, I love how she delivers this message because there is... There is a plainness in how Sister Browning is administering this doctrine to everybody that really leaves little to be misconstrued. It's very straightforward. She, she does a great job at getting her points across, at teaching the doctrine, at um, illustrating her points. Like, she, she just nailed it. She nailed it. She is covering so many different topics and covering so much of the important stuff of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we need to survive right now. Like, if you guys are wondering what you need to survive, do a deep dive into this talk and extrapolate everything you can from it, and it's the formula to spiritual survival. It's perfect. It's, it's absolutely perfect. I really can't say enough good things about her talk. Like, she just absolutely killed it. Um, as an early follower of the gospel, I encountered many who observed and perceived changes in my behaviors, practices, and choices after I joined the church. They were curious about the whys of what they were seeing, why I chose to be baptized and join this congregation of believers, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, why I refrain from certain practices on the Sabbath, why I'm faithful in keeping the word of wisdom, why I read the Book of Mormon, why I believe in and incorporate the teachings of modern-day prophets and apostles into my life. 
I highlighted that. Why I attend weekly church meetings and, and why I invite others to come and see, come and help, come and stay, and come and belong. I wrote a note off to the side that said, Are you getting it yet? How many times are we hearing it, hearing this, this conference? Like I say, you, if you want a spiritual survival guide, use this talk. This is a perfect talk for spiritual survival. At the time, those questions felt overwhelming and transparently, sometimes accusatory. But as I grappled with people's scrutiny, I came to realize that their probing was, in fact, my first invitation to pick up and put on a pair of spiritual lenses to clarify, focus, and solidify what motivated my adherence to gospel practices and standards. What was the source of my testimony? Hi highlight that. What was the source of my testimony? Was I only carrying out outward performances without allowing those practices connected to God's law to strengthen my faith in Christ? Or to demonstrate understanding that Jesus Christ is the only source of power in my observances? I put a note off to the side that says, Culture versus Conversion. Again, are you a cultural Mormon? Or are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ, a.k.a. a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? There's a difference. And that difference is becoming more and more apparent as each day goes on. Through rigorous effort to look to and for Jesus Christ in my every thought and deed, my eyes were enlightened, and my understanding quickened to recognize that Jesus Christ was calling for me to come unto him from this early season of discipleship in my youth. I can recall an invitation extended to me by the missionaries to join them as they taught the gospel to a group of young girls about my age. One evening, as we were seated in the family, family home of one of these young women, their tender questions of why I believe prickled, prickled, pricked my heart and allowed me to testify to them with deepened understanding of the Lord's vision about the spiritual motivations of my discipleship and has refined my testimony going forward. Oh man, I love how she turned, I don't know if you'd call it adversity, I guess in a way it was kind of adversity, but she took she took this situation and she took the weightlifter's approach. <laughs> and I know, I know this. I'm sorry, you guys. You, I'm I'm somewhat of a of a meathead still in my in my older age, right? In my older thirties. I still, you know, I, I'm not the young book that I used to, but I still view the world through through that lens, and I still, uh, you know, I had a good chest workout tonight, lifted some weights and stuff like that. But she really, she took this and used it as an opportunity to spiritually lift. And as time went on, she became way spiritually stronger. Because of these, as she would call them, like these opportunities to see clearer, to be able to, you know, when you're pushed up against the wall and you have to say, do I believe this or do I not believe this? Like she said, yes, I believe it. And here's why I believe it. And she got stronger and stronger. That should be our goal. That should be our goal. Not to say, woe is me, but to say, this is an opportunity for me to grow. And that's hard. That, that's not easy, but it is worth it. And she is a shining example of, of taking this stuff and not being a cultural Mormon, but being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Like, I, I have a lot of respect for her. Sister Browning's become this, like, this really was one of my favorite talks of the conference. 
I learned then, as I know now, that our, that our Savior, Jesus Christ, directs our feet to meeting houses each week to partake of His sacrament, to the house of the Lord, to make covenants with Him, to the scriptures and teachings of prophets, to learn of His words. He directs our mouths to testify of Him, our hands to lift and serve as He would lift and serve, our eyes to see the world as each other as He does. I'm going to read that one more time because that is profound. He directs our mouths to testify of Him, our hands to lift and serve as He would lift and serve, our eyes to see the world and each other as He does, as they really are and as they really will be. Think back to that... uh, to that scripture in in 3 Corinthians, right? Or in, what was it, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 or something like that? I'll have to look that up again. Have it written down. But where it talks about being looking in the mirror and seeing the glory of the Lord looking back at you. Seeing Christ in the mirror looking back at you. If that doesn't put perspective on things, I don't know what will. And as we allow Him to direct us in all things, we receive testimony that all things denote there is a God. Because where we look for Him, we will find Him. Each and every day. This I testify in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I wrote off to, the, to, to my side here in my notes, I wrote chef's kiss. Just ma, chef's kiss. This really was like, so in my, in my, in my, uh, my supplies, I have a, a little survival guide that I got. It's the British SAS, uh, survival guide, right? And it's got some really cool stuff in there. I, I love stuff like that. And it contains all this useful information of how to survive in a, in like a, you know, grid down scenario like whatever it's a british sas survival guide these guys can live off the land you know this this talk that's how i view it i I, i've said it before i'll say it again this is a spiritual survival guide right here if you're having if you're looking at the mirror darkly right now if you're having a hard time Take the things that she has outlined for us in her talk and apply them. She gives you a formula to dispel the fog of war and allow you to clearly see the tree of life and Lehi on the other side beckoning for you to come over and partake of the fruit of the tree of of life. We're seeing so many people, brothers and sisters, who are throwing away their membership in the kingdom and in so doing are basically committing spiritual suicide. And we know that as the church as time goes on, the church is going to probably get leaner and meaner at some point. It has to. It happened in the Nephites' time. It happened, obviously, in Jerusalem and stuff like that. Like it, It's never a popular thing. And, and following the prophet is never going to be a popular thing. However, sadly, I never thought that that would be something amongst my own people that would cause heartburn. And it is part of the reason why I am... It's a very big reason as to why I'm putting out this podcast, because common sense is uh, becoming more and more of a rare superpower amongst people in general. But amongst members of this congregation, that is something that should be common sense. And it's something that's becoming more and more 
divisive. When people get up and they talk about following the prophet or about, you know, this and that. I tell you, I told you guys already, but I went, when I spoke to the, to the older generation, those who were, who were in their 80s and 90s, I, I, I told them how much I loved them and how much I related to them. Because that generation of people, they, would, they never questioned follow the prophet. They never, ever followed, or followed the, the counsel of man over the prophet. They, I just respect those guys, and I feel a kinship with those guys. And I'm so grateful that I was trained by a lot of those guys. Literally, some of those people in the audience were my, uh, my Sunday school teachers and people I learned from uh, when I was young. And I'm grateful for the knowledge that I have. I'm so grateful for my testimony and for the rock of my salvation, Jesus Christ, and for the knowledge that He has given me and for the assurance that He has given me that, that the church is true and that I am valued, I am a son of God, and that someday... Though now I look through a mirror, I look through that, that glass darkly, right? I don't see very clearly who I am, or who I'm supposed to be. But at some future day, I hope to look into that mirror and see the glory of the Lord looking back at me. That's what it's all about. That's, that's why I'm doing this. I had somebody leave me a message that, that left me in tears. Because there are times when I think, is, is this a benefit to anybody? And uh, this person left me a message and said that, you know, that he was, was praying for somebody, you know, to, to come into his life and to put out some you know, some gospel truths in a way that the spirit could make use of for him and that really invigorated me him him telling me that message invigorated me because i was humbled that i was able to simply because i got off the couch in my uneloquent um voice you know i i'm not an orator as you have probably picked up. I'm a regular dude. I'm I'm just an average Joe, but I do have some common sense and I do have a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ as prescribed by Jesus Christ through his mouthpiece, through his foundation of prophets and apostles with himself Christ being the chief cornerstone. And sometimes I think all it takes is that effort. It takes you putting forth effort so that the Spirit can take your message and translate it into something that will be of worth to somebody else. And the glory goes to God on that. That has nothing to do with anything else. I of myself am nothing. But the Lord can take my... He can take my... my small little sacrifice, right? My two little coins that I have to give. And he can take that and turn that into into a feast for somebody else. And that is that that that's the real miracle right there and that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And I would challenge you guys uh to do the same thing. As you guys find worth in not just this, but in, in your scriptures, in your, in your studying. As you guys do what I'm doing here, you know what I'm saying? Share it with people. Find somebody who's hungry. Who's hungry for this stuff. There are people everywhere that are hungry for the gospel. And share it with them, you know. I think that one of the things that that we will find is that as we as we become a lighthouse as we let that light shine 
that you will be super surprised, as I am, at how the Lord will make use of your efforts and how much of a spiritual reward and a, and a humbling spiritual experience it is to be able to not know at the time but to find out later that you helped somebody, that you were a, a tool in the Lord's hands. I love you guys. I really do. I am grateful for you guys. I'm grateful for your adherence to the gospel of Jesus Christ, even as you struggle. Sometimes with your faith. Some of you guys are struggling with your faith. And I've gotten messages. But something that always cuts through all of that fog of war is testimony, the Spirit, and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I know it's true. We got dark times ahead, and this is what it's all about, and this is what we need to cling to no matter what happens. Be ready, be prepared, be watchful, and Get right with Jesus. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.